Alright, uh, hey, it's a Tuesday, so you know what that means? It means it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show, senior editor, Athlon Sports, the college football encyclopedia, as I like to call them. What's up, Stephen? Hey, Mike. It's good to talk to you. I have uh, not been trapped in the portal yet, uh, so <laughs> as every player is saying, with that being said, I am excited to join you and talk all things bowl, uh, SEC championship, and transfer portal season. Yeah, well, let's start with that um, SEC championship, Stephen. I mean, what a great game that was. We were calling it the national championship on this show, and I I still hold firm to that. So, I I mean, I think Alabama is probably going to win it all now. But um, what's your level of surprise that uh, the underdog Alabama – you know, it's like – the the pesky underdog Crimson Tide with the greatest college coach of all time and a red-hot quarterback. You know, so many people doubted him going into this game. What was your thoughts on Alabama squeaking by uh, Georgia after 29 wins in a row? Very surprised. Um, some idiot that's on your show every Tuesday <laughs> said Georgia was going to win the national championship. They meet the moment. And Alabama uh, proves us wrong again. I, I was, you know, after the the first drive of the game, where Georgia, the first possession for Georgia, they went right down and scored. And I thought, they're going to dominate this game. It, you know, this is the, we might get a blowout in the SEC championship game. But Alabama settled in after that. And you thought like, the passing game for Milrow was a little bit consistent, but the defense of Alabama settled in from there. And then you started to see, like, every time it felt like Georgia was closing the gap, Alabama just made a play. Whether it was Georgia missing the field goal, the turnover, Milrow making plays with his legs, the little uh, shovel pass to get a first down. Alabama just made the play every time it felt like Georgia was going to get back in it. So I was surprised based upon the pregame read, the first post-drive read for Georgia, and just what's transpired this season. So great win for Alabama. Like you said, the uh, the plucky upstart from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, <laughs> giving us the surprise of the season. We've waited all season for some chaos, and we got it in the SEC championship. Yeah, and uh, I missed this at the time, Stephen, but after the game, Nick Saban said something to the effect of, uh, you know, Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey. we didn't really have to respect them because they could tell how banged up they were. And, you know, it probably if this game's held at a different time, Georgia probably wins. And, of course, there was questionable calls. I've been hearing a lot of that from Athens, which that's fair, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, Al- Alabama had to play under the same refs. So, man, it's just tough break. Again, after 29 wins, you haven't lost a regular season game in three seasons, yet you don't get that opportunity to defend your title in the college football playoff because Saturday night, that was your playoff, and, and you failed the test there. But uh, thoughts on Alabama going to the college football playoff, Stephen? Do you do you think they got it right? I get it. If Florida State fan, you got to be just just uh, you know shattered that you went undefeated and you, and you didn't get it done. But I mean, I think it it comes down as simply as this, Stephen. Who who would Michigan rather face? Would they rather face Alabama? Or would they rather face face Florida State, I think it's an obvious answer to that question. Wasn't Michigan's reaction when they saw Alabama <laughs> on the big screen telling? Uh, I mean, you know, Michigan might be just subdued and just like 
happy to to for what you know for whoever and and was announced. Maybe they were, maybe it was just they were just excited to be in the playoff and they didn't need to show a much bunch of emotion. I don't know, but when that came up and I saw the reaction there, I was like. Maybe it was the hashtag. They do not want Alabama. <laughs> as, as we uh, many teams say they want Bama. Um, you know, I would go uh, back to Georgia for a second. I think the SEC championship game sort of underscored something that you said earlier this year in how hard it is to win national championships back to back, how hard it is to go back to back to back, and also to have a winning streak that approaches 30 games. Um, that run by just run by Georgia is pretty remarkable, but it also the like eventually like a loss was just going to find you at some point. It, you know they they didn't play their A game and they had their weapons hurt. So a remarkable run. It's also really hard to do, and it's also why it's really hard to three peat in college football. But on Alabama, I think that when the matchups were announced, the first reaction that I had, Alabama is going to win it all. Um, I think they're playing. Probably, I mean, they just took down the number one team in the nation in the SEC championship game. Um, I think they're playing as well as anybody since the middle of the season after Jalen Milrose settled in uh, with the way that the defense has played, especially in the SEC championship game, locking down Georgia's passing attack. So um, the way that Alabama is playing, the growth of Jalen Milrow, I think it was an easy decision. Um, I shouldn't, well, I shouldn't say easy to put Alabama in the playoff because I do think the committee really wrestled with the Florida state thing being the fact they are an undefeated power five champion, but there you could make a case to leave out Texas, Alabama and Florida state. And you could wrestle with this all day, but it comes back to if the goal is to pick the best four teams, you can't leave out Alabama and it has nothing to do with the sec brand. It has everything to do with what Alabama has accomplished. I mean, they've beaten, the committee's number one team last week, uh, number six now, number 11, 13, and 21. And the, and I think coaches in the room probably watched Alabama and said, this is a team that we do not want to play right now. So I hate it for Florida State because I don't know that there was necessarily a 100% right decision because they are undefeated in their power champ. But I think at the end of the day, if the goal is to get the best four teams in there, Alabama's one of the best four, and they've got to be in. So I think the committee at the end of the day got it as right as they could in a very uh, unique and very subjective situation. Yeah. And, and can you give us a quick overview of uh, Michigan? Just, uh, you know, not necessarily rehash your entire season or anything, but for for people like me, Stephen, I don't watch Michigan, but I watched them two years ago against Georgia and they and they had no business being on the field as Georgia. I watched them last year against pesky little TCU, and they threw multiple pick sixes, and they let a joke of a team march on through to the national championship. So is this a same old, same old Michigan? We all know they're cheating, so hopefully they don't get to cheat in this matchup. But uh, is this the same old, same old Michigan, or is this the best Michigan to date? of the of the last two that got embarrassed in the college football playoff. I don't know that they're better than maybe last year's team, but I think they are equipped to win it all. And I think that we'll kind of start with the strengths of this team. Uh defensively, giving up about 9, 10 points a game this season. Some of that's the bad offenses they played in the Big 10. 
teams later in the season, if you look at their schedule, like Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State, they've been able to move the ball a little bit better. But their defense is still very good. Um, J.J. McCarthy, I think one of the Big Ten's best quarterbacks, if not the best, and a running back in Blake Corum, who uh, was one of the top running backs in the country last year, hasn't had such a great year this year. And I think that gets me kind of to the difference of last year's team and this year's team. The offensive line for Michigan is not as good this year. They And their rushing attack for Michigan, not as explosive. Um, they're averaging about a full yard less than they did last year. Hmm. And I wonder in games, like if you watch them against Ohio State, you watch them against Maryland and um, in Iowa too this Saturday, I do wonder, like, against a defense like Alabama, are they going to be able to spread the field and make enough plays in the passing game? Like, if Alabama stops the run, you know, in third and seven, third and eight, can they consistently win against the secondary? Georgia couldn't. Michigan's receivers, I don't think, are better uh, than Georgia's. So I think if you're just kind of looking for the quick overview of this team, strong defense, they're pretty good at the along the offensive line, not as good as last year, star quarterback, and a good running back in Blake Corum. Um, and, of course, there's the whole Michigan versus uh, everybody theme that they've been playing this year with Jim Harbaugh <laughs> suspended six games and the stealing uh, scandal that later in the year, too. Yeah. I can't wait for that game, January 1st in the Rose Bowl. And then after it, Stephen, you know, this looks like an interesting matchup, too, in the Sugar Bowl. Texas, Washington, Big Ten, or excuse me, Big 12 champ, Pac-12 champ. Neither one's going to be in their conferences <laughs> next season, so it's a little weird. But uh, some fresh blood. I know Washington made it once a couple years ago, but first, second time for them, first time for Texas in the college football playoff. Uh, what's your early read on this game, Stephen, and who would you favor um, as we talk about it here December 4th? I think it's it's funny because the first game is probably going to be drastically different than this one. <laughs> the first one, Alabama-Michigan, is probably going to be a lot more defensive-oriented, lower scoring. This one, you might get both teams scoring in the 30s or even 40s. I think it's going to be a high-scoring, up-and-down kind of game. I think if you're like Texas, the first thing you ought to say, we've got an advantage, is our defensive front. The two defensive tackles, Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, those two can get pressure on Michael Penix and slow down that Washington passing game. That's really the, the kind of the matchup for me in this game is Washington's high-powered offense and who can get stops in this game because the weakest position group in the playoff is Washington's defense. Uh, so I, I think if Texas can just slow down Washington enough in a high-scoring game, it might be a scenario where trading three for seven points, a red zone stop, a stop on third down, or a turnover uh, wins it. So I favor Texas in this one. They actually played in last year's bowl game in the Alamo Bowl. It doesn't really mean anything because both teams are different. The stakes are different. Uh, but Washington won. And I think that familiarity will be – it'll be interesting to see if it means anything here when the two coaches talk after the game. But it will be a much different uh, game. High scoring, two great quarterbacks, a lot of offensive fireworks, and Washington's timely defense uh, will have to step up again if they want to go to the national championship. Right, and I know they beat Oregon as an underdog in the uh, conference championship. Maybe you could tell me regular season who was favored in that one and – and I would 
I, I have no idea, but maybe Southern Cal, were they underdogs in that matchup? And the just reason I ask is it doesn't seem like this team is is uh, unfamiliar with, with beating the expectations. You know, the, the weird thing about Washington is if you look at their season, it's almost two different seasons. At the start of the year, they pretty much blew people out. And then they got to Arizona and Oregon in the middle of the season, and things got closer from there. And they they didn't look like a playoff team when they played Arizona State, when they played Stanford, or to some extent when they played USC. I mean, USC's defense, every team gets well against USC's defense this year. <laughs> but, you know, that was a game where they gave up 42. It was kind of like the score was, it's 52 to 42. The final is probably a little bit closer on the actual field. But they had a ton of close games, and they remind me a lot of TCU last year. They just keep finding ways to win. Sometimes when you when you watch them, you're like, and you look at the stat sheet, this defense is not good enough to get stops against a, an Alabama or a Texas, but they just keep finding ways to 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 do so, and they keep finding ways to win. So they mm. sort of have this 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 TCU thing where everybody keeps doubting them. They find ways to win close games, and they've got a quarterback that I think if he gets hot in this game, he can win it for them, and I think he can also carry them uh, to a national championship. Uh, Their offense is that good. Interesting. All right, well, Stephen, we're going to talk about the other bowl matchups here at the end of the show. I wanted to to cut into the transfer portal because that's seemingly all anybody wants to talk about. I asked you to kind of give us uh, some thoughts on what position groups – you think uh, each SEC team w- is potentially going to be heavily focused on adding. Uh, but before we get to that, Stephen, I, I got to ask, Vanderbilt, my goodness. I mean, they're getting devastated here. But just went 0-8 in conference play. They've just lost their th- all three quarterbacks, Stephen, that have taken a snap this year. A.J. Swan, Ken Seals, Walter Taylor, all to the portal. Their top three receivers, Will Shepard, London Humphreys, Jaden McGowan, off into the portal. Number two running back, Patrick Smith. And starting defenders, Dericky uh, Wright, Ethan Barr, and Nate Clifton to the portal. So we're just starting from scratch here. What in the world do we do with Vanderbilt? And, and we were kind of joking off air. I mean, we may have to go Paul Johnson triple option here just to just to do something. We, I mean, we got to do something different because we're, we're getting killed here. Yeah, I think that, you know, you start thinking about where Vanderbilt is right now. I mean, 0-8 in the SEC and try to start building a case for optimism for next year, especially when you lose your, like you said, all of your quarterbacks, your top three receivers, and some of those guys could be, you know, going to other SEC teams next season. I think that kind of shows the talent that they have in that receiver room, Um, but they pretty much are starting over. And I think what we've also seen in tandem with the transfer portal, it is very hard, I think, to go from two, three, four wins to bowl games, eight wins. You have to almost hit on everything. And it's it's hard to do, I think, because Vanderbilt's probably going to be at the end of that opportunity line. Um, I'm sure they'll attract some quarterbacks because there's only, you know, so there's so many power five quarterbacks that are on the move. That one will probably come to Nashville and start, but that means you're going to have to go into the portal to find receivers, quarterback, and you still have to find some other pieces in there. I mean, for a program that's 
looking for some positive momentum now off an 0 and 8 season, it's probably like the worst. I mean, I think it's like the worst case scenario. It, I mean, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, things seem kind of bleak right now for Clark Lee and Vander, but I don't want to be too, um, you know, prone to hyperbole here, but that's kind of the way it seems to me. Well, I think it was last week, Stephen, we were talking, you said, hey, these Ivy League guys, they don't, they don't get a fifth year. So they're they're all transferring out because they need because they can get an extra year of eligibility. Just send them all down to Vanderbilt. Let's <laughs> send them to, right. take take every super senior in the Ivy League. Maybe we can field us a competitive team in Nashville next next year. You know what? Hey, it, to be fair, you know that's not a bad idea because <laughs> there are several transfers in the Ivy League who could actually probably come in and play uh, right away for for Vanderbilt. Uh, so. I, that might be their their best case uh, <laughs> scenario here. I, I like I said, I don't I don't want to be like too Mister Negative here and to bring back Mister Negative. But I, you know, after going zero and eight, and you're looking at Van- Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, all the teams in the in the league, they seem to be the one that has like the fewest reasons for optimism next year. Even Arkansas. After hiring Bobby Petrino, the whole like offseason narrative has shifted there. Like after that loss to Auburn and Missouri, Petrino's coming back. The optimism meter seems to be getting higher. Would you agree? Oh yeah. They, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're all aboard. Hell, I, I think I tweeted out um during that Pac 12 championship game. I was like, man, four or five SEC teams will whoop both <laughs> these teams' ass. And someone one of the commenters was like and now that we got Bobby Petrino, throw Arkansas in there. I mean, they're yeah, they're on cloud nine. So uh, there is optimism galore. But uh, Stephen, I, w- I wanted to ask you about a lot of these portal quarterbacks just a second. But I just thought of something that, that I thought you'd be a fun person to ask. Juice Wells, South Carolina, officially in the portal. He's got two years of eligibility. I, I couldn't believe that. I. I didn't know if he had one year. Apparently, he's got two somehow. Uh, and then I don't know that this guy has officially entered the portal, but it is expected. Walter Nolan from Texas A&M. And, heck, he could, he could return to Texas A&M. So I, I'm not saying, you know, that's a done deal by any means. But who do you think has a, a bigger impact? Let's just assume that both these guys stay in the SEC. Um, which one do you think would you rather have? To, to maybe push your team to that next level because these are two critical positions of need. An explosive playmaking receiver in Juice Wells, when he's as healthy, I thought he was as good as any receiver in the SEC. Walter Nolan, of course, we know this is a line of scrimmage game. You can't win without dominant defensive linemen. So, I mean, there's no wrong answer here, Stephen, but which which player do you think has a bigger potential impact on on his next team next fall, and I, I get it, that's probably a, an impossible question to answer because we don't know where they're going to go. But let's just assume they stay in the SEC. Who, which which player? I guess would you rather have to make an impact next season? It's a good debate because first of all, I think you like you said with Juice Wells, he he was a preseason All American. I had him as a preseason All American uh, before the twenty twenty three season started and all the injuries, of course. So you're getting a difference maker right away on the outside. But I think you have to go line of scrimmage here. I I think anytime you can get a five-star defensive lineman with the upside to be a difference maker, and he's already shown that too, like a Texas A&M 
year one to year two, the growth of, of Walter Nolan, if you can go out and get a five-star and there's not that, I don't, I think there will be some difference makers at defensive line, but there's potential there to be pretty elite with Walter Nolan. There's not too many guys in the portal like that. You can always find wide receivers, I think. I think there are more receivers and more defensive backs in the portal than any other position. So it's, it's almost like the the replacement level factor, like the drop-off between Walter Nolan and sort of the next defensive lineman could be pretty steep, where I could go into the portal and find another receiver that's maybe not as good as Juice Wells, but comparable enough to to be functional at receivers. So give me any difference maker at the line of scrimmage, and most importantly, any offensive lineman. If they are a functional, uh, high-level offensive lineman, they will be in high demand when the when the portal opens up. Perfect solution, Stephen. Just they should both go to Tennessee. We don't have to worry about which one's going to make a bigger impact because they'll both make huge impacts. How about that? I think. Hey, um, on my list of, of needs. <laughs> What do you know? Tennessee needs both. What a coincidence, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, so we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, a lot of people, they just they they love to talk these quarterbacks, Stephen. And I'll give you the perfect example. Mississippi State, we got a new coach in here, Jeff Lebby. You know, optimism is high, but the optimism meter, it can't, it's not gonna reach maximum until we know who our quarterback's gonna be. And it doesn't matter who it is, Stephen. We're all going to buy into them. Hail State, we're back, baby. So I have to ask you, Dylan Gabriel, how, how big of a surprise was that when he entered the portal? Uh, I, you know, I, I get it. They got they got a promising young quarterback in, in Jackson Arnold, but this was pretty surprising. I don't, I don't know. There's got to be something behind the scenes where, you know, he's he's got his next spot figured out or or nil. I have no idea. I'm just speculating, but I would think Dylan Gabriel makes. A lot of sense for Mississippi State and maybe some other teams in the SEC. What's your thoughts? 100%. I think he makes a ton of sense for Mississippi State because of the connection uh, to Jeff Levy, of course, you know, uh, the connections to UCF. He started there for a couple of years, then transferred to Oklahoma, runs the same kind of style of offense. Of course, Levy was just at Oklahoma. So familiarity, and he's also available to, to run the scheme. He has one year of eligibility, left and i think gabriel is the the perfect case study for nil because i think he could go to the to the next level and i think he could hang on as maybe like a third string or practice squad quarterback but i think the reality is he's probably more valuable right now to a college team on an nil deal so i think he's the perfect case study for how nil can benefit maybe someone like dylan gabriel and also benefit another team in the process if i think the kind of scouting report that i've seen on him i don't know that he has the strongest arm of any quarterback in the portal but i think he's got his accuracy this year almost 70 percent at oklahoma and he can execute up-tempo spread offense to perfection and especially with his experience so if i'm a mississippi state fan and you can go out and get dylan gabriel you would and immediately you have a high level capable starter that's already familiar with your system. So um, I don't think it was a, it was a surprise and it wasn't a surprise if that makes sense because he's been in college for five years. I kind of just assumed that he would try 
for the NFL. But I think the fact that they have Jackson Arnold behind him, it's probably time to pass the torch. If not, you probably risk losing him if you're Oklahoma. So I think there's probably some of that trying to that's the Ross, the new age roster management of quarterbacks is it was time to pass the torch and Gabriel could also cash in uh, one more time in, in, uh, in NIL money this year. Yeah. And how about this uh, rumor, Stephen? Oh, very curious to get your thoughts. Brock Vandergriff, he's our, he's in the portal, Georgia backup uh, to Kentucky. Now, Matt Jones, uh, Kentucky Sports Radio, was several days ago, maybe a week ago, he was teasing like, oh, we're getting we're getting great news coming quarter. So, I mean, I, this has probably been in the works, just speculating. Kentucky tampers. Hell, they all tamper, but I know for a fact Kentucky tampers with all this shit. But, Stephen, I mean, caught, maybe I'm wrong, but, I again, it's well documented, my thoughts on Mark Stoops. So, I'm not – we don't have to rehash that. Seemingly, I do it every week. But I think, I think after the Devin Leary experiment, I think it's safe to say that didn't come close to the expectations. Now Brock Vandegriff, former five star, all the talent in the world. I get it. I gotta be honest with you. I was I was never enamored with him. I never thought he'd play at Georgia after watching him a little bit in high school and, and watching him in the spring games. If you're Mark Stoops, if you're Liam Cohen, can. I mean, would you be excited to get? I mean, I guess you know you need a quarterback. I get it, but would would you be over the moon getting Brock Vandegrift when you when there's all these other guys in the portal? What's your thoughts on that? Because I, if he's a bust, and I'm not saying he is, because we that's not fair. We've not seen enough of him on a, in a meaningful action. He may be the next Joe Burrow for all I know. But I think Mark Stoops is one bad season for being on the hot seat. I really do. And it, and if if this is the guy they get, and he's a bust then, you know, your job could be on the line. What What's your thoughts on all that? Is Mark Stoops just uh, looking to cash in a, set, a few more seven and eight win seasons <laughs> until Iowa comes open, uh, maybe? Um, you know what sells in college football? Hope, optimism, potential. And that's what Brock Vandergriff, I think, could bring uh, to Kentucky. You know, I think you mentioned the the five-star status coming out of high school. There's some un- untapped potential there also i would trust liam cohen sort of to figure this out and i said that before this season and it didn't work out so i don't know how well i would take myself too seriously by saying that but yeah the devin leary experiment didn't work out as well as i think kentucky hoped and we hoped uh this offseason when we were kind of talking about potential optimism scenarios for kentucky so i think there's the potential uh one i think if you're kentucky you have to get a quarterback um you know, you can't go into the to next year with the guys on the roster. You've already had some attrition there through the portal. So you have to get at least one. Maybe you have to go get a second one. Personally, I like some of the other quarterbacks in the portal a little bit more than Brock Vandergriff. Um, so I would probably lean towards getting somebody that's a little bit more proven and a little bit more experienced than going after someone who's, you know, got a handful of passes. He he might be, like you said, he might be the next Joe Burrow, the next uh, Will Levis, but you're also banking on a lot of uh, upside there. And I think I personally would prefer a much more sure thing at quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what the message is. They're, you know, they're saying you're Will Levis 2.0. You'll kill it. We, we'll make you a draft pick here. But could they not get that maybe with, from, from, say, like a Will Howard, a Tyler Van Dyke, 
I mean, it, who who's who would stand out to you as as someone that is in the portal that makes sense for Kentucky in your opinion? What do you think about Will Rogers in the fit for Kentucky? Um, I would think honestly, I th- I think that would be a poor fit. But yeah, it, it apparently they're Washington's already looked at, at him, so their quarterback Which also seems like an odd fit to me too. But well, yeah, I was I was gonna say, but heck, I mean they're, they're they're in the playoff and they they got the most out of Michael Penix, so clearly they know what they're doing. But maybe uh, maybe a lot of these coaches got a higher opinion of Will Rogers than than even I do. So yeah, I mean I I certainly I think I would rather have. I, in fact, I know I would. I'd rather have Will Rogers than Brock Vandegrift because we don't we just don't know anything about Vandegrift in a in a big time spot to where at least we know with Will Rogers, not that he's the greatest, but he's far from bad. You know what I mean? Like he he's a known quantity, which I think you need because because whoever you're getting at Kentucky, you're basically saying here's our starter, and I would not roll out a guy out that that's never played the meaningful snap. I think it gets back to kind of what we were talking about a minute ago. If you're weighing Will Rogers and maybe even throw like DJ Uyangalale in there too uh, from Oregon State, I think you kind of know who these quarterbacks are. But if you have someone like Vandergriff who has this untapped talent, you're, you're, you can bank on some of that upside and sell that as, you know, we, you know what you're going to get out of DJU. He could be steady. And he may get you six wins, but Vandergriff might be the guy that's good enough to get you to eight or nine wins uh, next year. To you, know, you mentioned Will Howard. I think he's rock solid. Um, I like him personally a little bit better than a lot of than some of the other names we've thrown out here. I also would throw out uh, like Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina, and he's been um, he's been a little bit banged up this year. But you know his you know look at his track record at Coastal Carolina as far as like taking care of the ball. The mobility, um, the accuracy he's had, you know, maybe that doesn't translate as well to Kentucky. And he's, I think, NC State is kind of on the doorstep of getting a commitment from him. But there's a lot more. There's a ton of names so far that are way more proven, uh, and that I think would be a a better solution than sort of banking on uh, Vandergriff at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so, what's your thoughts on guys that? Uh, and I, I'm just coming from a pure place of ignorance here, Stephen, but like Cam Ward at Washington State, I, I hear good things about him. Uh, Dante Moore from UCLA, who I, I think he got benched. Uh, Kyle, I, I was surprised Kyle McCord, Ohio State. I Again, I didn't watch that much, but I thought he had a good season. And heck, they're in the New Year's Six play in Missouri, and, and yet their quarterback's in the portal. Is there is there a pecking order of, of, other, of any of these other guys that – you think would be good fits for any SEC teams looking for a portal quarterback? Absolutely. So Dante Moore is kind of the a more experienced version of Brock Vandegrift, if you will, because he was a five-star quarterback coming out of last year's signing class. You may remember him because he flipped from Oregon to UCLA, uh, I think either close to signing day or on that first early signing day. It didn't work out for him at UCLA, but the talent is there. And, you know, he's from Michigan, so maybe he ends up back in Michigan. Maybe he ends up uh, somewhere else like Ohio State, too. Um, Kyle McCord was pretty surprising to me to to see him enter the portal from Ohio State. I think it's a case of Ohio State might just be trying to upgrade. And that brings me to Cam Ward, because I think he's probably the best quarterback in the portal right now. 
And I think Ohio State, Florida State, if, if they decide to go after a quarterback, Oregon, maybe even Auburn, anybody that needs a quarterback is probably going to get a try, get in on the Cam Ward uh, sweepstakes. I think he's number one. Um, Dante Moore, based upon potential. I like Will Howard and kind of Dylan Gabriel and uh, Grayson McCall is kind of your top five or so uh, signal callers in the portal. Tyler Van Dyke, I should say, at Miami is interesting because he has shown, and this goes back to the 2021 season, just far as being a pure passer of the ball, uh, when it's there, he can do it. And he's been banged up. They had some poor coaching hires. He might be a rebound candidate for some team that's looking for a quarterback in the portal. Um, you're, you're taking on some risk, but also you can watch that 2021 season and sort of see something, I think, that you might be able to, to mold uh, in the SEC. Safe to say a guy's inconsistent when Steven is pointing to the 2021 season as a side for the guy doing something good. But I get it. I, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, Hendon Hooker was anything but consistent till he started playing for uh, Josh Heupel. So right system for the right player. These guys can take off. There, there's no doubt about it. And, Actually, I think, Mike, I think you should also assume, too, that the portal's probably not done with quarterbacks entries too. There might be some more over the next, I think, week or so. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I do think there is an, a little bit of urgency though, if you're looking, because like it's like a domino effect because once they names start to get in, they start committing. If you're looking to move, you have to get in early too. Right. And it would be an interesting place to be in. Say you're, uh, I don't know, I'm just completely speculating here, but like a uh, Ty Simpson at Alabama, and Arch Manning at Texas, who I believe he just committed to returning, but you know where your path to playing may not be there next season. But heck, you could be playing in a month because a starter could get hurt for a national championship. So it's that's that's a tough place for uh, for some of these playoff quarterbacks to be in. I would think it throw throw Malik Murphy in there from Texas too, who started some this year. Um, like you said, it looks like Arch Manning is coming back, but I think. Malik Murphy might be one of those guys who's on the move, but they're in the playoff. So are can they you go into the portal down? and keep playing? And then Arch Manning commits to Tennessee and, but plays for Texas <laughs> wins a national championship. The transfers. <laughs> I mean, could, is that even legal? I don't even know. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you can do that. There, there are players um, like last year, a good example of that was Austin Reed at Western Kentucky. He entered the portal played in the bowl game for Western Kentucky kind of hinted that he was going to be back, but there are players that do that. They'll play in the bowl game. They'll just mm. come back. Um, and there's also a little, a rule this year too, where if your bowl game is in, or say you're in the national championship after those games are done, you have five days to enter the portal. So you might see a wave of Alabama, uh, Michigan, Washington, Texas players enter the portal January 5th or so at this point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break from the show to let you know we're presented by MyBookie. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today. And don't forget to use that promo code, that SEC. that's T-H-A-T-S-E-C, over at MyBookie. And they're willing to give you an instant 50% initial deposit bonus up, up to 1000 bucks today. You sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag today. This is the number one way to help this podcast stay independent. Please, please help 
support the podcast, take advantage of this offer. And you can just throw 50 bucks in there, 100 bucks, whatever you got. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Sign up, new account, using promo code THATSEC. There's a link in the show notes. Click that link, sign up, use that promo code THATSEC. We would really, really appreciate it. And just fade our picks, and <laughs> you'll be looking pretty every each and every Saturday. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Steve. Well, hey, I asked you ahead of time uh, to have a list ready for, you know, positions of need that you could see each SEC team trying to pursue via the transfer portal. And it's a, it's a difficult question because we don't know right now super seniors who, who all is, is officially returning. We don't know officially guys that have declared for the draft. And heck, like uh, you probably didn't have Vanderbilt needing quarterbacks and receivers a week ago, but since they've lost guys to the portal, now all of a sudden that's a position of need. So a lot, a lot of variables in here, but uh, as the portal has just officially opened today. Uh, and, and again, we're, we're looking ahead to next season. So people have complained and complained and complained, Stephen. Why you throw Oklahoma and Texas in here? Well, you can't complain anymore because the guys they're adding today are going to be suiting up in the SEC. They're not going to be suiting up ever again in the Big 12. So we're adding Texas and Oklahoma. So 16 teams, just kind of an overview, Stephen, of, of where you think uh, each team may need to attack via the portal. And, and let's just go in alphabetical order. So uh, how about Alabama? You know, I think the first thing um, for Alabama is going to be, you know, NFL draft. Like the, those, they're, they're going to lose some guys. And I think, like you said, that makes it kind of hard to pinpoint um, where they need. But also I think they're still, they're, they're going to be in pretty good position next year when you start looking at their depth chart. <laughs> start thinking about early 2024. Uh, stuff, but I think a few needs. Like obviously, if we assume Dallas Turner goes to the NFL, they're probably going to need to maybe consider adding a difference maker off the edge. I think you could also assume that like running back and receiver 
there might be some attrition. They have some seniors, some guys may declare early, some guys may transfer. I think secondary was a focus this year in the portal. Jalen Key, Trey Amos, McKinstry, Terry on Arnold. I think you have to assume they're going to be gone uh, to the NFL. And also I think offensive tackles, you know, they're, they're going to lose probably JC Latham to the NFL where they look to find a starter in the portal. So Alabama has a few needs. I don't know that they're incredibly pressing, but they have a, They do have a few needs uh, this offseason. Mm-hmm. And how about Arkansas, Stephen? This, this has got to be a tough one because we still don't know officially what KJ is going to do. Could come back, could enter the portal. Heck, he, he, he could even go pro for all I know. But uh, as I'm aware here on Monday, I, I don't think he's made any determination. So um, what do you have for Arkansas taking that into consideration? I think the biggest needs right now for Arkansas are all on offense right now. Um, because I think, like you said, it whatever KJ Jefferson decides sort of dictates how your offseason is going to go. Because if he leaves, you're going to need another quarterback, maybe even two, to compete with Chriswell. I think Arkansas could stand to add a difference maker, a receiver to somebody who can help them stretch the field a little bit more. But I think the the if KJ Jefferson comes back or if he doesn't, they have to fix the offensive line. They've got one commitment in the transfer portal already uh, from Michigan state. Keyshawn Blackstock. I think they need to add others there. So offensive line quarterback and receiver are probably my biggest needs for Arkansas next year. Mm-hmm. How about Auburn, Steven this is an interesting one because uh, clearly, clearly they're doing very well in, in high school recruiting and they did well in the portal after Hugh Freeze got there to kind of rework the trenches. They added a bunch of receivers. Didn't really get a lot of difference makers there. They they added some running back. I mean, they added everything. Quarterback, of course. <laughs> will, will they go quite as crazy, you think? Because Auburn's a team to to watch, Stephen. That year two jump under Hugh Freeze. I mean, we're crazy down here. You know, would they win seven games year one? The expectation is eight, nine minimum. Otherwise, you're going to be on the hot seat. So uh, they're going to need some players to get there. Isn't it? I think it's maybe this is this isn't fair. I think a lot of their needs are actually what they added last year, (laughs) because I think they're probably going to have to add another quarterback. Um, Peyton Thorne, I think, was way more inconsistent than I anticipated him being in the passing game. Some of that wasn't on him. Some of that was receivers. That was a need last year. It's probably a need again this year. Um, they're probably going to have some, I would assume, attrition on the offensive line and the defensive line as well. So I think trenches and I think passing game, quarterbacks, receivers, can Auburn land a difference maker to beat out Thorne or do they just add somebody to compete with him? Uh, it'll be. I'm, inter- I'm really fascinated to see where this Auburn quarterback battle goes uh, this offseason. Right, and I mean, I have, again, I'm just – Completely making up his scenario, Stephen, but let's not be naive. When you get a quarterback out of the portal, you very likely there was NIL involved. I, I And again, I don't even know if this is legal or what, but I wonder if they, again, Pey- Peyton Thorne, he wasn't awful. Let's not say he was awful, but, and maybe he got a little bit better at, well, hell, they did lose to New Mexico State. But I'm thinking the Iron Bowl. He was good in the Blame Iron the Bowl. for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but could you imagine a scenario where they're like, again, I, I'm completely making this up, but maybe Cam Ward is like, hey, I'll go to Auburn. And they, and they say, well, hey, guess what, Peyton? 
we don't have NIL for you anymore. <laughs> we have to shift it over here. I mean, I, I think that's, that is a scenario that could happen in college football. And, and it, if you if you if it's a, if it's perceived as a massive upgrade, that would not stun me at all. Would it would it stun you? Not at all. Um, Peyton Thorne, I think, you know, it, like I said, it's not all of his fault that they had issues in the passing game this year. But if you tell me you can go get Cam Ward, I'm doing it. I'm doing it in a heartbeat. I think he upgrades the quarterback room at Auburn. No question mm-hmm. about it. Um, I just think he's a different player in the passing game. Um, you know, I, I think too, he can also give you a little bit in the run game too, much like Peyton Thorne did. So uh, yeah, if, if Cam Ward wants to come to Auburn, I'm taking, I'm, I would take him over Peyton Thorne. Yeah. All right. How about uh, Florida, Steven? This is uh yeah, obviously a pivotal year for Billy Napier, but um, I think, you know, for all the bad things I say about Billy Napier, I, w- I will say he has done an excellent job in my determination, uh, Stephen, of, of identifying talent and, and, and implementing them in his offense. And that goes Graham Mertz, Ricky Pershaw. Uh, he's had Montreal Johnson and Osiris Torrance and Caleb Jackson. I mean, s- several players all over the field. Um but they have some big needs here as well at Florida. I'd, I'll be interested to see how active they are. I've seen a lot of their fans, Stephen. They're like, God, we're so just slow to offer everybody. You know, I mean, there's something to complain about about everything. But uh, I, I think they have to be kind of picky, and uh, they can't just offer everybody. But uh, where could you see Florida kind of attacking via the portal? Let me see if see if you agree with me on this one. I think from an offensive standpoint. I actually think they're not in bad shape here. They're going to bring back pretty much everybody, we think, unless there's some surprise draft or transfers. Ricky Pearsall being the one um, that's expected to to move on. Mm-hmm. But defensively, I think you can basically just pencil in defensive difference makers and impact players across the board. Um, because you look at it, whether it's just advanced metrics, basic metrics, Florida at the bottom, of the league and can you find some guys maybe that fit Austin Armstrong system maybe he wants to maybe whatever scheme changes implement whatever he wants to do find some guys yeah, I think you need to find some guys who can get to the quarterback I think you need to find some guys who can cover so I I think I would go into this offseason if I'm a Florida fan feeling good that anybody that this staff brings in offensively is probably going to be a good addition because of their track record like you mentioned but I think they've got to add some guys on defense because otherwise, I mean, it is a defense that brings back a lot, but also I'm struggling to find a whole host of uh, difference makers here. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, sir. Certainly. I, I think Austin Armstrong would agree with that assessment yeah. as well. They, <laughs> they they need some help there, but but they've got, again, they, they had the injuries and they got a lot of promising youngsters. So I, I'm not writing them off, but they need guys that can play immediately because I I don't think there is a year four for Billy Napier if they go five and seven again. I I truly don't. I I agree with you, and I think er, the the urgency needs to be like it felt like there may be some guys that were added in the past who were they could be there for multiple years, and which isn't a bad strategy. But I think at this point you have to go find there. There's no patience here anymore. Uh, you've had another losing season in order to have that seven, eight, nine win type of season, there has to be guys that are just flat out D 
difference makers, and there has to be some urgency, I think, to add to this side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Now, how about Georgia, Stephen? I mean, do they have even have any deficiencies last all season? I mean, it was like everybody wanted Ra Ra Thomas, everybody wanted Dominique Lovett. I didn't even know Georgia was in it for those guys, you know. And and I know Tennessee and Auburn and Florida. I mean, they they were all coveting these guys, and they all they all go to damn Georgia. So I guess the real question, Stephen, what elite players will Georgia steal next from other SEC teams? Yeah, it's it's like it's almost like you already have the garage full of Ferraris <laughs> and you know Porsche and your Mercedes. Like, what more can what more luxury picks can can Georgia <laughs> add to the arsenal? Uh, because they're going to be really good, uh, obviously. Once again next year, I think there are a few areas where they can maybe look to add. Now, there there's going to be some attrition uh, up front on defense. There's going to be some attrition in the secondary. You mentioned the receivers. Um, you know, does any of those guys jump early to the NFL? Could there be some turnover there? Maybe they look to add a running back. Uh, Milton and Edwards are both seniors. They've had a lot of injuries there the last couple of years. I don't think any of these are glaring needs. And also, I think Georgia can be very selective in who they add. So I think whoever they add is probably going to be a high-end impact player that probably already knows he's going to Georgia before he enters the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Kentucky, Stephen? We already talked about quarterback. That one's kind of obvious. So uh, any other positions stand out to you for Kentucky for uh, that that could help them in a, have a big bounce back season next fall? Yeah, I think running back is going to be a position too with Ray Davis um, moving on. Not sure if he's going to play in the bowl game either. So I think the turnover at uh, quarter uh, turnover at quarterback, running back, I think solidifying any kind of needs at the line of scrimmage. There's some seniors there. We'll see if Kentucky brings any of those guys back. And of course, they did struggle a lot to stop the pass this year too. So can they find some uh, a safety, a corner that could be an impact player to sort of shore up the back end of the defense? Maybe you might not be surprised if they added a receiver to, uh, to add some depth there uh, with Tavion Robinson out of eligibility. They sort of have a lot of needs here, but I think none bigger than quarterback and then adding somebody to uh, to to fill in the shoes of, of Ray Davis at running back. Now, how about LSU, Stephen? This team fascinates me. Uh, it, it You know, they added via the portal last year and virtually struck out with uh, every defensive back, and, and they added many. <laughs> now, now, some of that's due to injuries and, and other things, but I heard, I've heard i heard Brian Kelly on multiple occasions, Stephen, say, hey, we, we had some misevaluations in, in the portal. So I'm kind of curious, you know, the route they take to, to correct some of these issues, do they go via the portal again? Do they, you know, it's more of a, I, don't, I almost said draft and develop, but recruit and develop. I, I mean, it's at, at the same time, Stephen, I mean, if they what would they finish third? Of course, there's not going to be divisions next year, but third in the West, that ain't going to cut it in Baton Rouge. Not not with a hundred million dollar contract, and you won the West the first year. We we can't afford a step back. So they're in an interesting spot. They they need some playmakers, but they they mismanaged the portal last year. Uh, what what if anything do you expect LSU to do in the portal? I think two spots are glaring needs right away. I think we have to assume that Malik neighbors and Brian Thomas 
are going to the NFL. Uh, the juniors, I expect they'll probably move on. So if that's the case, receivers. Um, Got to find playmakers for Garrett Nussmeyer next season. And then the secondary. For the third year in a row, I would expect LSU to be very active in trying to find some defensive backs to fill corners, safety, nickel, whatever it is. Last year's strategy to sort of add defensive backs who have multiple years of eligibility was smart. Um, They had bad luck with injuries and they just missed on them. But I still think they have to try and solidify that group again this offseason. So I would expect some additions there. Wouldn't totally be surprised. Um, Defensive front, too. You know, they really added some bodies last year. You have to have quality depth uh, in the SEC, obviously, up front. So a addition or two along the defensive line would not surprise me uh, one bit either. Mm hmm. Now, how about the Portal King, Stephen Ole Miss? I mean, my goodness, probably every position is uh, the real answer. They're, they just flip their roster like it's a dang pancake. But um, any specific positions stand out more than any others? I, I, I wrote down literally every position on the <laughs> roster because that's who Lane Kiffin is. Uh, you know, the Portal King is going to be shopping early and often in the transfer <laughs> portal. Uh, Ole Miss does have a lot of seniors listed at uh, along the offensive line and on defense. Some of those guys could come back based upon super senior seasons. So they might have an area of focus or two along the offensive line and some, and some of the spots on defense. They've been pretty active, too, in adding receivers the last two years. I would probably expect them to to try and find someone else uh, there this, this offseason, too. But you said it best with Lane Kiffin. I think we can assume that every position is on the table. Uh, maybe not quarterback if Jackson Dart returns and they have Walker Howard too, though. Yeah, let, let's see if they add three quarterbacks again this <laughs> offseason. That'd be pretty wild. All right, uh, new to the SEC, Oklahoma, Stephen. What position group? And I've seen a lot of their uh, older defensive players jumping in the portal. Of course, uh, Dylan Gabriel starting quarterback in the portal. So they've they've been kind of active losing guys. So I have to imagine they're going to add some pieces. Uh, what what position groups stand out for the Sooners? I would expect defensive line to be an area of focus. They have a lot of seniors um, who could move on or are moving on. Also, it's been an area of focus for, for Brent Venables the last two off seasons. You're trying to get ready to come into the SEC. You've got to have depth and talent along both lines of scrimmage. They've been adding over the last two off seasons. I would expect some more additions this year too. So I would expect line of scrimmage. They've had some attrition at running back too. So they might look to add um, a player or two there for depth. We talked about Dylan Gabriel leaving. Could they add a, a experienced quarterback to back up Jackson Arnold? Um, that could be one area of focus, but I do think coming into the SEC, Oklahoma is in a much better spot than they were last season. I think Venables has done a good job of getting this program on stable foundation coming into uh, 2024. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Oklahoma, their former coordinator, Jeff Levy, now at Mississippi State. So uh, a roster flip. And again, five years ago, this would have been a, a total disaster where probably wouldn't even be fair to, to judge Jeff Levy until year three, year four. But we live in a new era, Stephen, and by God, he better win, and it better be fun next year. So how, how do they get there? I mean, I, I have to imagine it's 
it's basically every position on offense. Yeah, I think you're right. I think first, I think the biggest need is quarterback. If you can go out and get Dylan Gabriel, like we talked about, immediately your quarterback situation is a thousand percent better than it was on December 4th uh, this year, because you would have a proven high level guy to operate that offense. But, you know, the other thing that stands out to me um, about Mississippi State is, and I hate to go back to this, there are a ton of seniors. It's offensive line. Uh, Tulu Griffin at receivers. It's been reported he's going to go to the NFL. Defensively, you can defensive line, secondary, linebackers. There are seniors everywhere on this two deep. So I think Mississippi State will be very active in just adding a lot of depth. And they may get they may be able to be a little bit more focused once they get the super seniors back. But quarterback, um, maybe some playmakers at receiver. Uh, two and then restocking the defense. Those are the priorities for me for Jeff Levy. Yeah, and unfortunately, I've, I've heard it. Xavier Thomas, their their punt returner receiver, maybe leaving, headed to LSU, which would go to your. They need it. They need targets there at LSU, so maybe getting a, a swap here. How about the Missouri Tigers, Stephen? This is another program under Drink that has done a a very excellent job identifying and developing and. and implementing these transfers it's fixed their defense and of course Theo Weiss Cody Schrader offense alignment I mean they've, they've added pieces and, and they've, they've done it well where could you see Missouri attacking in the portal you know I, I think that was the first the, the first thing that I wrote down for Missouri was when you look back at some of their transfer classes for the last two years this staff under Eli Drinkwitz they've done a really nice job of bringing in guys who we thought were high level impact ones and they worked out and also guys like, I mean, Cody Schrader was a walk on, but you know, there are others who that didn't really seem like they were going to be that much of an impact guy and they worked out. So I, I think credit to Missouri staff for finding guys that fit their system. And I think when you start thinking ahead for this year, the first place that jumps out to you is the defensive line. There's a lot of seniors on that defensive front. So I think defensive line, can you bring in some running backs to replace Cody Schrader? You're also losing Nathaniel Pete um, and the offensive line too. Um, Delgado and Javon Foster, both seniors. So you you could have some attrition on both lines of scrimmage, and you got to find uh, some some running backs to help replace the the departure of uh, Cody Schrader. Mm-hmm. How about South Carolina, Stephen? They really need an injection of talent here. They've, they've already lost a ton of guys, but most of them not key contributors. So, you know, it's not like the roster's devastated by any means, but uh, they are losing Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett. They're two best players, I think, by a, by a country mile this season. So, uh, and Beamer and company, very active in the portal. Every year they've been there. So I anticipate that to continue. Where do you think the Gamecocks could go? I think on offense, I think there's two spots that jump out right away. And I think there there might be a little obvious to, to to most fans. I think number one is receiver. We talked about Juice Wells. You mentioned uh, Xavier Leggett and Marion Brown. There's a lot of turnover there. You need some depth, and you also need some talent. So I expect receiver to be high in the list. Also, offensive line. Um, you know, you're going to get uh, Jalen Nichols back this year at tackle. Some young guys got experience. Still think you need to add some starters here. Everybody's looking for offensive linemen in the portal, but I think South Carolina will have to try and add a body or two there. 
in a course running back. Um, you know, the, the ground game struggled this year for a variety of reasons. Can you go out and add another back or two to give you some big playability there? On defense, I think secondary's got to be the area of focus. I think secondary and also finding guys who can get to the quarterback. Uh, they were tied for the fewest amount of sacks this year in the SEC. I know they changed uh, some defensive schemes late in the year. Maybe they found something with using more three-man front. Still think you got to find some difference makers in the front seven. So secondary and d- d- defensive end difference makers, I guess, is maybe a good way to put it. Uh, is where I'm focusing for South Carolina. Yeah. And how about Tennessee, Stephen? Again, this is another program that, uh, again, they're not awful by any means, but I th- I think it's fair. Their fans will say did not live up to the hype, so they can't afford to do that two years in a row. What position groups do you think Tennessee needs to add to where they can have a, a bounce-back season? I think let's start with the – probably the most glaring need for Tennessee and that's fixing the secondary. Um, I think you have to be, they're going to have some losses up front, but when you have guys like James Pierce and you've developed some other guys up front, you feel pretty good about your defensive line ability uh, going forward under, under Tim Banks, if they can continue to recruit and develop secondary though, has been a problem for two years in a row, they have to get it fixed. So I expect defensive backs to be an area of focus offensively. I think receiver is a need for Tennessee. I, I mean, I know that they, they may bring a lot of these guys back, but they need some difference makers here. They need some guys who can stretch the field, be a little bit more consistent this year, especially to bring back that big play consistency that we saw out of Tennessee um, under Hendon Hooker. And also, I think depending on who leaves, I think offensive line uh, will be an area of focus uh, for Tennessee as well. Mm-hmm. And to go along with receivers, Tight end. They desperately need help at tight end. Basically, every position group on offense. Josh Hypo, I thought that was your strength. What, what the hell are we doing here? Uh, how, how about Texas? Again, that's it's probably a hard one to read because they're all locked in. They're, they got a playoff run. Who knows? They could be the national champion. And if they are, I'm claiming that as an SEC title, Stephen. But uh, does Texas, uh, they got more NIL money than anybody. So they're right up there. Uh, I, I have to imagine they're going to be a factor for a lot of big time transfers uh no doubt about it I, I think texas is in the same position that georgia is in in alabama to some extent is they're adding luxury you know they're adding high end they're not looking necessarily for bulk they're looking for like high quality five stars so i think just a few spots that i have my eye on i think you're receiving core because guys like xavier worthy tight end jatavian sanders they're all juniors they could go to the nfl so i think playmakers for Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning next year, might want to add a proven one. Defensive lineman, because you're going to lose a couple guys to the NFL, and defensive backs. That uh, their Secondary at times this year for Texas was not probably up to their standard. They've had some injuries, but they also have some promising talent. They're just going to have some turnover at safety that they may want to bring somebody in to, to compete next year. Well, I've already heard, Stephen, that uh, Juice Wells and Walter Nolan, two of the teams that interest them, Texas. So the rich get richer, of course. Hey, uh, spe- I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call. I'm, well, I don't know if I should call it out because I, I don't want to make too many bold predictions and be looking <laughs> dumb here in a, few, in a few months. I'm just going to go ahead and say I think Texas, Alabama, and Georgia could be like three of your top five in your early uh, 2024 top 25, top five teams, that is. 
The SEC just keeps getting tougher. Yeah. That's what, how about uh, speaking of Rich, A&M? Uh, again, who knows if they got the deep pockets after uh, paying off Jimbo, but uh, Mike Elko got to imagine he's going to be reworking this roster this offseason. Absolutely. So I think A&M, for the most part, is pretty well-equipped next year to be a pretty solid team, um, potentially in the top 25, get Connor Wigman um, back healthy and, and figure out what they're going to do with the coaching staff. I think depending on who leaves at receiver, you know, Anaya Smith is already going on to the NFL. Maybe you look to add there another playmaker or two. Some small areas too, like offensive line, it's been a group that struggled. Is there any high-level players that A&M could add to come in and start right away? And we also saw at times um, this season that defensive backs were an issue for A&M. It's a place where they lost a lot last year. They added some guys. Maybe they look to add another couple bodies there uh, this offseason. And then last and least here, Vanderbilt. I mean, we we kind of already hit on them. They got needs everywhere. It's it's probably too hard to even narrow it down, but it, but it has to start with quarterback, right? 100%. I think one quarterback at least, but you probably need to add two. Uh, to realistically, because of how many you're you're losing, and you probably have to find if you depending on who your starter is. If you take a veteran, I think you want to take a younger guy uh, to sort of push him or to potentially start in 2025. So, quarterback, wide receiver, everywhere on defense for Vanderbilt. <laughs> God, that's depressing, Steve. Let Let's get on with a happier note here, and I can't think of a happier fan base than Mizzou, Steven. You were hey, credit to you. You've been calling it for a while. New Year's six bowl bound Mizzou Tigers. That's exactly where they ended up in the Cotton Bowl, one of the most prestigious bowl games and, and venues down there in Arlington, AT&T Stadium against mighty Ohio State. I, I think this is a perfect opportunity, Stephen, for Mizzou to put you know a, a cap on this historic season and beat a team that's nationally prominent that there's probably a lot of people nationally that still don't give Mizzou the respect they deserve. But if you beat a team like Ohio State, how, you know how, how can you say anything other than Mizzou was elite this year? Right. And the, the other thing is, we're going to hear this in the next couple of weeks. Ohio State's going to be missing Marvin Harrison Jr. probably as he prepares for the NFL. Kyle McCord transferred. So they're going to be playing a backup quarterback. They're just going to be playing a shell of who Ohio State was, which isn't, necessarily false but i will point out that ohio state has one of the best defenses still in college football and not all those guys are going to be preparing for the nfl draft in this game so if missouri wins this game they're going to be beating a team that still has a ton of four and five stars on both sides of the ball and they're probably still not going to get enough credit for winning this game but i think just that's the setup when i look at this game a ton of veterans from missouri all that they've been through finishing out the year in one of the biggest bowl games and tried to finish out on a high note against an Ohio state team that yeah, it's missing some guys, but still has a lot of talent there. And that's kind I kind of like Missouri to right now uh, on early lean to win this game. I think they're going to be plenty motivated for this one. And I think with the uh, trying to get guys like Brady cook and Cody Schrader to finish out the year on a high note, I think this is a good spot for Missouri. 
Mm-hmm. And then in the Orange Bowl, Stephen, we got Georgia, Florida State. And as if we needed any more reason why Florida State doesn't belong in the playoffs, Stephen, Georgia's like a two-touchdown favorite. And we we know, well, we don't know, but there's likely to be opt-outs and things of that nature. But it, it, here's what I really wanted to ask you, Stephen, about this game specifically. Remember last year, Alabama, you know, they Nick Saban, Papa, he – he begged and he pleaded, get get us in the playoff, put us, you know, what does the point spread say? The point spread says, well, no one cares about that, Pat Ball. But they they went in here and they have Bryce Young, they got Will Anderson, future number one, future number three pick. 99% of, of college football probably anticipated those guys opting out. These games don't mean anything. And they said, no, this this finishing with our team, that means everything to us. And I realize, you know, different team, different year, but I think that really spoke to the program down there in Alabama and just all the all the good that Nick Saban has instilled in creating this culture, this winning culture, this championship culture that obviously aided this team this season after a rough start. And that's a, that's a long, rambling statement there, Stephen, to get to this. Again, Kirby's had... He, he has the same thing, where if you're not in the playoff, it's a failure, and, and particularly after winning back-to-back national championships. But will you judge Kirby and, and Georgia at all if they have a bunch of opt-outs, if they no-show this bowl game? We have seen that before from Georgia when they don't make a playoff, that they kind of no-show a, a big matchup like this. And does that tell you anything about Georgia next season is any of that fair, or am I am I being unfair with these uh, comparisons? It might be a touch unfair. Um, I'm not going to judge Georgia or Florida State too much on who is in this game, because really, to, the biggest key to this game is motivation. I mean, if you're Florida State, are you motivated to play in the Orange Bowl after getting left out of the playoff? Probably not. But maybe they are. Maybe they're but motivated. Couldn't couldn't Florida State win and maybe some poll vote them national champion? I, I mean, if I was Florida State, why not? Why why not print the national championship banner like UCF did and <laughs> do the parade and do the t-shirts, the hats, everything? Why not? I mean, you you'd be 14 and 0, and right. you you can say you beat a number one Georgia a team that was ranked number one. Why not? So I think that that's the thing. Like, who's motivated for this game? The other thing um, for Brock Bowers and and for Georgia, he's been hurt most of this last stretch of the season. If he opts out, I you know I wouldn't blame him for it just because of the the injury factor. But I'm not. I, I this to me is like it's the Orange Bowl, but it's really about it's the motivation bowl. Who shows up and who's motivated to to win this one? And I'm sure you remember this, Stephen. But who? Did Central Florida beat in that bowl game to go undefeated? Do you remember? That was uh, Gus Malzahn and Auburn, right? After losing the SEC championship. Right. So it's like, it's all the way around. I mean, it's gone full circle here. If, if they beat them, they're, you know it. They're going to claim the national title, even though it's it'll be just as relevant as uh, UCF's that year. But, hey, there's a lot of, there's a ton <laughs> of, of like 
crazy national championships in the history of college football to like read through like some of these in the forties and the fifties and some random <laughs> yeah. dudes poll and the, you know, is <laughs> national champion. So like I said, why not? If you're, and if memory serves, Steven, Alabama won that year, the na- the real national championship, and they were not undefeated. So, I mean, it could be the exact same scenario because I remember Central Florida, their argument was only one went undefeated. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about, uh, how about the Peach Bowl, Stephen? Another New Year's Six. This was a surprise. Ole Miss, Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Lane Kiffin says uh, no opt-outs anticipated, so... We should be full go here for Ole Miss. Uh, Thoughts on this matchup? I love this matchup. Um, I hope both teams are at full strength because it's a great matchup of Ole Miss's offense against Penn State's defense. Uh, Penn State's defense is one of the best in the country, led by defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, old SEC friend. He's done a great job up there in Happy Valley. So is James Franklin, uh, the Penn State head coach. But yeah, it really is. It's Jackson Dart. Quinshot Judkins against a standout Penn State defense. Also, I think motivation for Ole Miss. I, I didn't get the sense they were too interested in playing in the Texas Bowl last year, but that was just me from uh from my <laughs> from my couch. I think they'll be motivated to play the Peach Bowl this year. And also I, I think just a chance to send some of those guys who've played a lot of ball the last couple of years out on a high note in a game that should mean a lot for the program. Um, this one's got a lot of intrigue for me. Right, and, and I wanted to ask you that specifically, Stephen, on this game, because I th- I think you could say many similar things about Lane Kiffin and James Franklin. A lot of people like them. A lot of people hate them. It's fair to say they rarely, if ever, win a big game. Which which coach do you think needs this one more? Because it, you lose this one again, it's like. I don't know. I, I feel like the losing coach is going to have to hear that all offseason. You didn't win a damn game that was meaningful. Oh, no question. I think that's a really good comparison because James Franklin this year has been given a ton of flack for not measuring up to Ohio State or Michigan. I would probably say it's Franklin. I think of the two coaches, like I don't think either one of them is like anywhere near the hot seat, but – I think just based upon the way the season played out, I'd say probably Penn State. They're, I think they're favored in the early uh, spreads too. Mm-hmm. So I, I would go Franklin probably needs it more. Now how about uh, the ReliaQuest Bowl, Stephen? LSU, Wisconsin, somehow, some way, we got robbed of this LSU, Notre Dame, Brian Kelly Bowl matchup here. But uh, again, this is a tough one because we don't even know who's going to be suiting up for LSU. But um, – Let's let's just assume for the sake of argument that their star players suit up in this one. Uh, any chance Wisconsin gives them a ball game if LSU's key players play? I don't think so. Um, I think if LSU's at full strength, I think they should win this game. Not easily, but I think, it, well, I should say, it won't be the level of blowout that we saw last year in LSU's <laughs> bowl game. But I think they should. I mean, Wisconsin this year, uh, new coach Luke Fickle, Probably one of the more, I don't want to say disappointing teams in the Big Ten, but they they were not as good, I think, as most people thought this year. And they don't have their best player running back, Braylon Allen. They've had a couple receivers already transfer out. So on paper, if if you're Jaden Daniels and you play in this game and you want to go out on a high note, there's the potential right here. Uh, I think LSU is a big favorite, and I think good reason why. 
Mm-hmm. Now, how about uh, the Citrus Bowl down in Orlando? Stephen Tennessee, Iowa. Uh, the over under is something ridiculous, like thirty something points. I uh, I can't. I mean, I guess I, I watched Iowa in the Big Ten championship. They they did look good on defense. Did you fall asleep? I, <laughs> I, yeah, pretty much did. Thankfully, the Florida State Louisville was on to keep me awake. But uh, my goodness, Stephen, well, Tennessee doesn't have much of an offense this year, but. Uh, again, and we don't even know the quarterback for Tennessee in this matchup, but big game, I think, for Heupel and company. To get to nine wins, I, I think eight and five, he, I, again, I think people are going to be very dissatisfied if they go eight and five and lose to damn Iowa. Oh, oh, oh no question. Um, I would say if you have small children, I don't know that you want to expose them to the Iowa offense this year it could be it's a, it, it might it might it might not be safe for work too i don't i mean it, it's it's a struggle they, they've had a lot of injuries to be fair to iowa's offense but it's it's bad and it's uh it's one of the reasons why brian ferentz the offensive coordinator is not going to be there next year which is one of the storylines for me in this game because kirk ferentz and iowa how they're going to win this game they're going to win it with defense and they're going to win it with their awesome punter. Uh, Tory Taylor is one of the best <laughs> in the country. And you, and every time you watch an Iowa game, if if you have, they would, this is what they'll do: they will punt, and they will play good defense, and they will just try to keep flipping the field ten yards at a time until they can get it to into scoring range. So it will be a slog if you're a Tennessee fan, and with the fact that it is Brian Ferentz's last game son of the head coach. I wonder if there's a little bit of motivation there for Iowa to finish out the year on a high note, but it's really just other than that, it's a contrast in styles. You've got the Tennessee offense, the high powered Tennessee offense that hasn't quite been up to that level, but the tempo against a very slow, very deliberate Iowa offense. It could not be too uh, more contrasting <laughs> offensive styles, unless you're talking about like the option, the air raid in the game. <laughs> yeah. So how many points is it going to take to win it? I mean, will 20 points for either side win the game? Yeah. If Tennessee can get the 20 or 24, I, I think they can win this game. Mm. All right. I can't wait for the Nico debuts 56 points on, on this <laughs> incredible defense. That'd be, that'd be, man, the, the Tennessee fans would just be mad. They didn't get to see him more. Imagine the message boards if if Nico starts or plays well, and the mess it'll be why wasn't he playing all all season, right? <laughs> exactly. All right, how about the uh, Texas Bowl, Steve? This this is a pretty interesting matchup: A and M versus Oklahoma State, which of course went to the Big Twelve Championship, just got their brakes beat off them. But uh, we, we don't know what to expect from A and M. Their uh, interim coach just left to become Syracuse uh, defensive coordinator. So uh, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't have any clue what this, what this is gonna look like for the Aggies. Yeah, that, that's it. I, I, I don't know what to expect out of A and M in the bowl game because of all the coaching changes, all of uh, the personnel turnover, guys going to the NFL. There's some uh, guys who opt to transfer. Just a lot of uncertainty for A and M. Um, if the motivation is there and A and M is relatively at full strength, they should win this game. Uh, the, the biggest reason why I think is the defensive line for AM. We saw this in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma State, any success they have has to start with the run game. Ollie Gordon is one of the best running backs in college football this year. He couldn't get anything going against Texas. If AM does the same thing, 
and the motivation is there. And frankly, it's, it probably should be because they're not, they're, you know, playing in their home state against an old big 12 uh, foe, uh, Texas A&M, the matchups favor them in this game. I felt Oklahoma state, while they were nine and four this year, there were times this year where they were pretty fortunate doing it with a little bit of smoke and mirrors at times. So this matchup, I think favors A&M if the motivation is there. Now, how about this one, Stephen? When they announced this, this excited me here. The Gator Bowl, Kentucky versus Clemson. I think you could argue both these coaches, they they really need a win here. Mark Stoops to I, – I get it. They beat Louisville, so that – I mean, that completely took off any, you know, warm warming under his seat. But then the A&M fiasco happened. We've had players jump into the portal. Clemson, on the other hand, you know – People may recognize Kentucky as a good football program, but I guarantee you the Clemson fans don't, and they, they will have no respect for losing to this Kentucky team. So to me, it's almost like a must-win for both two very established coaches to, to keep some momentum. What's your thoughts on this Gator Bowl matchup? I think the big concern I would have if I'm Kentucky is Clemson's defense is outstanding. And we saw this against South Carolina uh, just two weeks ago, they can just suffocate these opponents. I mean, their 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 defensive line is so good at getting pressure, and they cover well too, which is kind of a bad setup for Kentucky, considering that Ray Davis may not be in there. Uh, the up and down sort of play of Devin Leary this season, he did play them uh, when he was quarterback at NC State and beat Clemson in 2021. This on paper, this the first kind of glance seems like a very low scoring uh game you know clemson doesn't hit big plays in the passing game kentucky has trouble covering uh but you know pretty good against the run and that could be trouble for clemson's offense so it is a game to your point where it is a bowl game but the offseason narrative sort of for both when you add in what happens here Clemson's made some staff changes. What does Kentucky do in the portal? There's some narratives that could start to form here or could be helped depending on what happens in this matchup. Yeah. How about the Music City Bowl, Stephen? We got Auburn, Maryland, Mike Loxley, former SEC assistant here. So uh, I've already seen Hugh say, our fans go take over Broadway. I didn't know he he knew about Broadway, but apparently (laughs) – He's been down there. Uh, thoughts on this matchup, Auburn, Maryland. Couple old uh, SEC friends, like you mentioned, uh, <laughs> Mike Loxley, uh, Talia Tongavaloa, the quarterback for for Maryland. Maryland, I, I think it's fair to say, maybe a little disappointing this year. They started out, I think, five and zero. They had a couple. They played Ohio State tough, and then they had some kind of questionable losses, and they played Michigan tough. Um, but overall, I think they were. You know, after that start, they kind of tailed off. So I think what does that mean for Auburn? I think it means that line of scrimmage, they're vulnerable. They've had trouble protecting the quarterback and they've had trouble stopping the run. And I think if you're Auburn, you have to feel optimistic that you can go into this game, run the ball, get pressure on Tonga Valoa, and sort of control the line of scrimmage and find a way to win this game. So I also think, you know, we've talked about like offseason narratives. If you're Auburn and you win this game, I know they had close calls against Georgia and Alabama and they lost to New Mexico state, but you know, you can win this game. You stack a good recruiting class. You stack a couple key transfers. There's the, the potential here to, to sort of 
start to win the off season, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I got you. And then one final one, Stephen. Here again, SEC fans, this, I think you want to tune into this. Get a feel for the Oklahoma Sooners. I think it's one of the, uh, you know, the outside of the playoff, outside of the New Year Six. This is a a damn good matchup here, Stephen. Oklahoma, Arizona in the Alamo Bowl. New offense, new quarterback for Oklahoma. Uh, well, I have heard Dylan Gabriel, he may play in it, but that's so weird. I, I don't, I, I highly doubt it. I, I think with him going in the portal, it's Jackson Arnold show, the freshman quarterback thoughts on this matchup. Cause I, I believe Arizona, one of the hottest teams in the country, the, the last second half of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. Arizona without a doubt was one of the most improved teams from last year to this year, but they nearly beat Washington. Um, you know, they finished nine and three. They also had the close call against Mississippi state early in the season. And I think some of the things that they can do in this game, their defense is much improved, but also their offense is really fun to watch. And, and if you're an sec fan looking for a reason to tune in, I think number one, there could be a lot of points, but number two, if we start thinking ahead to next season, like what can we actually get out of these bowl games? I think we can get a good look at Jackson Arnold. I mean, the fact that he's going to probably, if he starts this game where he plays a lot against a good Arizona team that is either a favorite, kind of a slight underdog, depending on where you look, this is going to be one of the probably more competitive um, bowl games outside of the, the New Year's Six. So I think there's a lot of intrigue for me on seeing what Oklahoma looks like with some of these new faces as we go into next year. It's not everything, but I think it'll give us a good idea of kind of uh, where they stand and how they're performing as we go into uh, the new era with Oklahoma and the SEC. Right. And I can just hear it, the excitement in your voice, Stephen, to watch these bowl games. It'll be the final college football action we have for many, many months. So, uh, you know, I, I tell the fans to, to savor these. I mean, I've, I've already seen it. Some people are like, I don't care about this, don't care about that. Well, You'll care when it's February. You'll care when it's March. And there's nothing but the round ball to watch. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, we we only get, what, 14 of these Saturdays, and we have 41 bowl games plus the national championship left. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, give me every, <laughs> what is it, famous buttery toaster bowl and uh, – <laughs> Uh, the the Myrtle Beach Bowl, uh, the Quick Lane Bowl. I'm gonna watch all these because when when February hits, I'm gonna be going to YouTube to find like the old like SEC championship game to watch or something to <laughs> sort of uh, kind of uh, fulfill my need for college football. So I, I always think about bowl games like this. I don't know they necessarily that they mean Team A is better than Team B especially now because the rosters, the coaching changes and everything. But I think I watch them, number one, because it's our last college football of the year. But also, there are going to be guys who are playing in these games that we didn't get to see shine this year. And it's also the last time that we'll get to see Cody Schrader play at Missouri. Um, it's the last time Joe Milton will play at Tennessee. You know, some, you know, some fans will be excited about some of those being gone. <laughs> but it's one more time with those guys in those uniforms. And it's also a chance to see some of the new stars for 2024. So that's how I look at them and how I would watch them. If I was just 
sitting on the couch looking for something to watch around the holidays. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I kept you long enough here. Uh, before you go real quick, can you tell the audience where can they follow you and where can they find your work? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Aflon Steven. You can also check out my YouTube page, all CFB365. Also on Instagram, uh, TikTok at uh, Stephen L CFB. Also co-host the Cover 2 podcast every Wednesday. Uh, Cover 2 podcast by, uh, by Aflon Sports. Every Wednesday, talking to everything uh, all things college football. Well, I appreciate you, buddy. And uh, can't wait next week to, to jump back on. And I can only imagine the portal movement and shakes and, and coaching changes. And, oh, the SECs, it's going to be a, looking a lot different even a week from today. Absolutely. It's already, the portal is already, I think, over a thousand something players, maybe even close to 2,000 uh, this offseason. So who knows? Uh, by next week but uh, looking forward to it we've had a a crazy start to the offseason it's only going to get probably crazier in the next uh, two weeks or so yep you know it hey buddy this beer's for you mike and cousin shane that sec podcast loves the pirate and the pirate loves that sec podcast hail state